Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Christmas edition of Nick's Nonfiction here with your host, Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we have got Richard Bandler's The Secret of Being Happy. How is Santa Claus so happy all the time? He knows where all the bad girls live. Merry Christmas. I chose this book to try to spread some holiday cheer. I think you guys are going to like it. Imagine for a moment that someone takes you into a huge room packed with the most complex technology you've ever seen and offers to show you how to operate the system so that you can instantly bounce your attitude from one of negativity and doubt to an attitude of optimism, cheerfulness, hope. How radically would you change your life if you could switch at will from living life down to living life up? What would you be capable of achieving if you had a system guaranteed to upgrade your health and wellness, your outlook and expectations? Is this something you'd be interested in? Sign me up. Put the 4Gs on the Jeep. That's your brain he's talking about, the supercomputer in the room we neglect to go into. This summer we read uh, Kenneth Folk, Contemplative Fitness. He had dozens of gurus telling him, oh, you have not completed your training yet. One day Kenneth is walking through the desert and he has a realization. It's up to me to enlighten myself. This is Nick's nonfiction. No masters, no teachers. No one to look up to. Make yourselves happy. Like, literally, nobody's stopping you. There's much more deeper neurological studies we'll do today. Happiness, it's a lot like peeing your pants. Everyone can see it, but only you can feel the warmth. Seriously, we're going to learn something today. We're going to have fun. We're hitting the brain gym every Tuesday next year. Where is happiness made? The satisfactory. <laughs> About the author, Richard Bandler. Heaven, I'm in heaven. Did you guys like the intro video? No yearly wrap-up this time around because we're still dealing with limited technology. And unfortunately, that's going to continue into next year. I should get my uh, equipment back in spring. Written by Richard Bandler, co-creator and developer of neuro-linguistic programming and Garner Thompson, NLP master practitioner and trainer, Richard Bandler is arguably the world's most influential contributor to the field of self-development and applied psychology. His books have sold more than half a million copies and tens of thousands of people had studied his unique blend of hypnosis, linguistic, and precise thinking throughout the world. I'm saying this is more than self-help. This is neuro-linguistic NLP. We talk about that on the Patreon sometimes. There's a documentary on this guy if you don't want to do any reading. He's got a big ego, and his uh. belly is even bigger. <laughs> Seems like a good dude. He's also one of the best authors ever. Millions of copies. Maybe not best, but most well sold. So yeah, self-help. A lot of people are just going to write this off. Oh yeah, this is a bullshit genre. In reality, it's just applied psychology. You're your own doctor, and today you got to prescribe yourself some grins. Don't worry, nobody's ever OD'd on smiles. <laughs> I never knew what happiness was until I got married. And then it was too late. <laughs> Be right back with the book. Because I have to throw in a dipski. Let's pack her tight. Yee doggy! Okay, I'm back. Chapter 1, Richard Bandler, Secrets of Being Happy, Four Conditions. Every chapter is a list. To 
make it more listenable. <laughs> We've heard of all the endemics, but this one is the worst. Being happy is an antidote to one of the most widespread and destructive silent epidemics of our time. Millions of people, even in the most developed corners of the world, exist in the grip of a complex, chronic, and sometimes overwhelming sense of pessimism and despair. Despite living in the most prosperous, technologically advanced, and potentially rewarding time in recorded history, they still see the glass half empty and getting emptier by the moment. Oof. Bro, I've lived on the East Coast and the West Coast. This is a particularly East Coast thing. We got the gloomy UK attitude over there. Hey, I'm walking here. What are you smiling at? Are you gay? There's something wrong if you're happy on the East Coast. Whereas the West Coast? Like, man, we're catching some tubular swells tonight. You want to come smoke up? East Coast people love to be mad. On the other hand... People around the planet are living near to their fullest potentials, even though sometimes it is against what seems like insurmountable odds. These people are not necessarily more intelligent or more talented than their friends and neighbors, but when you look closely, they do display more important differences. You watch videos of those like Swahili diamond miners, they're whistling while they work. Our proposal is not that you will ever feel down, but that you will recognize that you have a choice to do something about it. Where, when, and even if you choose to make that choice is entirely up to you. So here's the four principles. Number one, living by choice, not by chance. Virginia Satir, the great family therapist, once said, if people have a choice, they will make the best one. The problem is often they do not have choices. So our audience is pretty much first world. I don't think we have Swahilians listening. So this was like an issue growing up in New Jersey. You could go to New York City and be a stockbroker. You could be a president. You could be the astronaut. There's something called paralysis by analysis. These therapists talk about it. So when you have all of these choices overwhelming you, you can't just be as happy as someone who's living in the moment. And even like people live retributively looking at Facebook and what could have been. All of that is contributing to depression. Every one of the millions of thoughts and actions you take for granted has its own route laid down in your brain. Progress and change, therefore, is likely to be far easier when you play to and develop strengths that if you try to fix your problems by removing what's been wrong. So you're never going to fix all your problems. We'll get into that later. But bad things happen. I'm not denying that. It's unavoidable that you're going to have crappy days. The best thing you could do is train your response. Put simply, People need to develop the habits of being happy and content. This means we must not need to learn the behavior of happy people, but we also have to develop the neural networks that support good feelings. So I'm saying this is the brain gym. You just got to ingrain that pattern. I am happy. I always look for the positive outcome. So we got principle number two, why fixing problems doesn't work. That's what I'm saying. You're always going to have problems. So the answer is to just not let the problems affect you. Once you fix your problems, you find a new problem to fixate on. I couldn't have said that better if I wrote it down. Bro, once you fix your problems, you just find another problem to fixate on. So don't even think about your problems. Ignore all them. Go into debt. People who focus on happiness rather than fixating on problems report fewer asthma attacks, alleviation of stress and anxiety, reduction of pain, lessened need for pre- and post-operative medication, fewer chronic coughs and headaches, including migraine, improved control of blood sugar levels and diabetics. 
negativity, it's got no place here. 2024, all smiles, all day. I'll still rant and rave. But I'm saying, bro, that's truth. Once you fix your problems, you just find new problems to fixate on. So learn to live with them and be happy. Condition three, hope and optimism can save your life. Patients who rate high in optimism and hope have also experienced shorter recovery times after surgery or trauma, including cardiovascular incidents, decreased frequency, and severity of angina attacks. I'm trying to attack some angina. Know what I'm saying? This is not the same thing as false hope or denial. Optimists are simply people who look forward to things. An optimist is the kind of person who wakes up in the morning and asks, How much fun am I going to have today? How am I going to enjoy myself? This is far from anarchy or pure hedonism. These are important questions we need to answer if we hope to master the art of being happy. These people create and nurture expectancy, and expectancy, as we've pointed out, is a key factor of bringing about change. I got a spit here. The fourth condition to happiness, being happy is a habit that you can acquire. So they had a bunch of studies in the book where they made people smile against their own will, and it actually releases oxytocin in your brain. So you could neurochemically trick yourself into being happy. And more technical, Ben, just put on some happy music, bro. How could you not be happy when you hear this? With the Taco Bell in there. <laughs> and music doesn't make you fat like Taco Bell. More technical, Bandler sets some parameters, accountability, productivity, sensory acuity, adaptability. You don't need to memorize any of that. But rather than practicing bad habits, like I'm saying, you could plan for the future. That makes some people happy. Happiness, it ain't hedonism. It's a skill you have to practice, or it's like a muscle that you have to train. Chapter 2, The Pursuit of Happiness. Happiness is pursuit. Happiness is like discovery, learning, growing. So the pursuit of happiness, I kind of have a problem with that. Happiness is pursuit. Obama. Dang, that's another good one. We're on the roll. A roll. A jelly roll. Here's seven healthy pursuits for happiness. Number one, your parents. We put this one at the top of the list as an inoculation against the excess we often hear from the problems people face. It's my mother. It's my father. It's in my genes. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Recently, however, scientists have identified a gene variant that helps people favor the bright and positive over the negative and dull. The study which examined people's subliminal preferences for happy, neutral, or threatening images concluded that subjects who had inherited two copies of the 5-HTLPR gene controls transport of the mood and affects neurotransmitter serotonins clearly preferred positive images over negative ones when compared the two. So there is a gene in your head that loves to see a plane crash on the news. So he's saying you got to turn that gene off. Yes, you might be predisposed to depression, but it's the same thing with people who have alcoholics in their family. Oh, I'm predisposed to depression, so I just have to drink all the time. You can choose to entertain these genes or not. And I think they're kind of taking a negative approach. All you got to do is remind yourself, your parents aren't going to be there forever. Once your parents are dead, you're an orphan. In China, spending time with your aging parents, they give you social credit points. If it feels good, it's probably good for you. And even if you're saying, oh, I have an abusive family and I have repressed trauma, 
then every time you visit them, you get to leave and you see how much happier you are. Just find the happy side. It's a math problem. Number two, somewhere to go. Lewis Carroll said, if you do not know where to go, any road will get you there. So somewhere to go. It proves to make people happier. So how I started, even if the best isn't the West, you could take a road trip out West and be like, holy crap, I miss home, and it makes you grateful again. So you just want to hate me if you turned off the show at that point. <laughs> Moving around, it literally releases endorphins. Having somewhere to go provides you with optimism and endorphins. That's a two-for-one in happiness. Let's go. Number three, having money. Okay, Richard Bandler. Let's get positive. It's free to work. It's free to save money. You know, nobody said that work had to be miserable, even though it sucks donkey balls. <laughs> but yeah, you got to just change your mentality. Everybody's got to work, so why are you being a bitch? Plus, saving money, it seriously is fun. Like, black people couponing is a culture for them. I got the golden ticket. I'm thinking of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Number four, having friends. What does the angel tell George Bailey in A Wonderful Life? No man is a failure who has friends. He's about to jump off a bridge. Just think about your friends. Is it going to depress them? Just wait until you're 70. Just kidding. But in this country, rich people jump off of bridges at the same rate as poor people. If you look at the suicide statistics, money does not make you happy. Like, the towns with the most therapists are the wealthiest counties. What does that say about money? Mo money, mo <laughs> I know that's a meme for five years old, but it makes me happy. Just think about that shit. Rich people be jumping off bridges just like poor people. Relationships, having friends give you, you a hit of something that money can't. Number five, having choices. This is the same as like having somewhere to go. You're stacking the optimism for the future. But you can't be happy in the future. The only time is now. For many years, NLP practitioners have preached that having several choices is better than having none. It was often said if you have one choice, you are stuck. If you have two, you are on the horns of a dilemma. If you have three or more choices, you have behavioral flexibility. I want to say something about the two-party system. Maybe that's just the horns of a dilemma. And now third parties aren't allowed in the debates. I don't give a fuck about politics. <laughs> but yeah, I've like lived paycheck to paycheck for a decade now. And the days in Colorado when I would go on a hike, I would just go to sleep saying that was the best day ever, bro. <laughs> I don't know. If you just make the most out of every day, the anxiety of the future withers away. Living in the here and the now, that was number six. And number seven, the last having a purpose. A student battling with a massive study load is more likely to succumb to stress and burnout if he or she fails to refer back to the reason for studying and its eventual outcome. Without purpose, the steps along the way might become overwhelming or just plain dull. Alexander Hamilton, my boy Hammy, said it more succinctly. Those who stand for nothing fall for anything. If you don't stand for anything, just stand for happiness. You know how French people say happiness? Happiness. Chapter 3. Fear and familiarity. Starts with a brain teaser. 
So you're think the, you think you're the one running your brain. But the subconscious is ten times stronger. I've made the comparison about the car. We're going to do a quote. Your body and mind work together as a system. The feeling you have about a particular problem or condition are the sum of your history with it. In other words, the why you get the feeling because you have experienced, seen, or learned it at some time in your past. But the why becomes irrelevant if your objective is simply to change how you react. So it's like having a purpose, a why. The quote is long. Rather than wasting time and energy analyzing your experience, it is far more likely that if you change the structure of the experience, that is how you respond to it, you might change the condition itself. Fix the sad conditioning with a goofy face. That was a missed sound effect there. But there's even deeper studies being done that if you like create a past for yourself that isn't even real, you could just jack yourself into a happier timeline. I don't know if that's like detached from reality obviously so i don't know if i would prescribe that but seriously just start making shit up if you're sad <laughs> improv dr khalid hassan a consultant anesthetic in birmingham england is accustomed to chatting with patients prior to surgery in an effort to calm and reassure uh. i went in for sol- shoulder surgery after my motorcycle <laughs> and one of the aides right before they put me under the male nurse was like i, te- I checked out your youtube page yeah it's not for me that's really reassuring before I'm going into surgery. The show's not made for you, Doc. Anywho, this surgery, Dr. Khalid Hassan, he likes to talk people into their surgeries. He does so using many techniques of NLP. On one occasion, I was talking to a woman who had a long history of reaching to anesthetics by vomiting violently. He says as she recalled her past experiences, I noticed she kept making the same gesture. She'd point her hands, palms facing towards her abdomen, and then move them both rapidly upwards and outwards to illustrate the violence of vomiting. After she'd done this several times, I was fairly confident that this reflected both her fear and her memory of the body sensation she'd experienced during previous bouts of vomiting. Dr. Hassan's solution was to continue speaking reassuredly to the patient using the tonality of his voice and his rate of speech to pace her experience and calm her down. As I talked, I made the same gesture she made, but in reverse. I used my hands to support what I was telling her, that not everyone had the same response, that because she had been upsetting past experience in the past, it didn't necessarily mean she'd have the same experience now, and that as she relaxed more and more, the tendency to gag and vomit would diminish and disappear and so on. So she was remembering all the bad times of vomiting rather than calling to back a good meal to her memory. I'm just saying it's freaking the same grooves that you dig into your brain. So we got the push and pee rule here on Nick's Nonfiction. The second you feel yourself going negative, you hit the deck and bang out 20 push-ups. Push and pee, baby. Not Percocets, we're pushing push-ups here. Seriously, it's impossible to be a sour Sally when you just maxed out aerobically. You get a runner's high just by hitting push-ups. Next up, the efficiency principle. This is why you have a comfort zone. Consider new experiences whenever you are called upon to deal with something new and unexpected. Your brain, like a general, calls on additional troops, neurons, 
to handle and analyze the information. This surge of neurons requires more energy, one reason why learning something new can feel exhausting, and your built-in energy motor immediately kicks in and triggers a sense of discomfort, sometimes interp interprets it as fear. On the other hand, whenever you stick with existing patterns, you use fewer neurons. This is no need to summon the reserves. The conflict is minimal or non-existent. You now know what to expect internally and feel more familiar and secure. So I've been doing some piano again. I'm trying to get into guitar. It, it's like you feel sick to your stomach when you have to sit down and do the lessons. So you just got to block out some time. But yeah, get familiar with that fear response. Some good advice right there. The efficiency principle. Your brain is always looking for shortcuts. Stop pushing peas. The efficiency principle. So what causes fear and how to handle it? In being happy, our concern is not why fear happens, but how a person creates and responds to it and what could be done about it. Regardless of where fear comes from, where she f it is clear an individual is capable of creating bad feelings and amplifying those feelings to the point where she feels as if she is dying. This is not productive and certainly does not help anybody to live a better life. So stop stressing. <laughs> it's all just conditioning. Do I have to go Pavlov on you? This is the new Pavlov bell for the show. Hmm, why am I craving a taco now? It's all conditioning, dog. <laughs> I prefer head and shoulders conditioner. Why are frogs so happy? Because they eat whatever bugs them. <laughs> Chapter 4. Helpful questions. So he's saying for this chapter, sometimes we're not even asking ourselves the right questions as to why we're depressed. An old Japanese proverb says, if you understand everything, you must be misinformed. Step one is admitting that there might be something about ourselves that we're unaware of. So start by asking, what feelings do you have regularly that make you feel good? What feelings do you have that make you feel bad? What do you fear most happening? What do you fear most not happening? What stops you from moving forward towards your objectives? When you feel fear, what in your body do you feel? What are its characteristics? Most people end up feeling bad not because they are bad or because they deserve to suffer, but because they hold beliefs that they fail to support life-affirming ideas. Remember Goodwill Hunting? Everybody needs Robin Williams to sit them down and say, it's not your fault. Nobody asked to be born with a ton of responsibilities. But it is your responsibility to how you react. I've heard a guru say, like, it's not that we have the freedom to be happy or the right to be happy. You have an obligation to be happy. Everybody's going through the same shit on a different degree. It's how you deal with it. So here's a couple other assertions or conditions that most of us hold. And it, it might surprise you. Bandler says feeling good doesn't have to be earned. It's okay to feel good. You shouldn't feel shame for feeling good. Why are you smiling? Are you gay? Just because I believe something, especially the bad stuff about me, doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I can change my beliefs and my feelings at will. And then he goes Descartes at the end of the chapter. Psychiatrists tend to be skeptical about the claim that people can fundamentally change their thoughts, beliefs, and feelings. Some see their role as helping their patients adjust to reality or to provide drugs designed to take the edge off of any unpleasant feelings. 
This is an ignorant, this is ignorance working in a highly destructive way because it is based on a fundamental misunderstanding of what thinking is. So I'm saying Descartes because he goes, I think, therefore I am. It's not that you have thoughts, it's you that's the one thinking the thoughts. So don't say, I'm just depressed because I have bad thoughts. You're the one thinking them. Seriously, you're the thinker, so it's up to you to have positive thoughts. Chapter four, quick fixes. This is the last one. We got a poem to end it today. So remember the thesis today. Happiness is a habit, so you have to invest your energy into positivity. Every single thought is a vote, so make them count. <laughs> or we could be on the horns of a dilemma. So this lap chap last chapter, he's saying learn how to meditate. That's not exactly a quick fix. And yet nobody wants to be told to meditate. So here's 10 quicker fixes. Number one, if you're emotionally stuck, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth for three minutes. Shift your position. Ask your subconscious for a solution or relief. Then breathe for another three minutes. So he's basically saying meditation. But even if you don't solve the problem in those three minutes, at least you've de-escalated your emotions. There's always a benefit there. Number two, curb an impulse to snack. He says, review your last meal. Remember the tastes, smells, appearances of the food you most previously ate. Replaying a previous meal rather than fantasizing about the next one has the effect of suppressing appetite. Number three, if you're depressed, some kinds of depression are related to functional brain asymmetry, meaning right and left hemispheres are not functioning coherently. So we're not denying today some people do have depression, but the tip here is you have to get better at linking both halves of your brain. And you could do this by just tossing a ball back from your left hand to your right hand. He was saying to do whatever static exercises, so do lunges, left leg, right leg. It's pretty crazy. That's probably why exercise helps with depression. Number four, to improve physical performance, talk to yourself. Evil, even simple positive talk, I can jump high, has been shown to improve the strength and endurance of athletes, an indication that verbalizing the action you want to take prompts the cerebral cortex to activate the activity center and muscle fibers. So that's why you see like rock climbers talking to themselves when they're on the edge of a cliff. For some reason, it activates your cerebral cortex. Number five, to drive better. Give yourself a running commentary as to your driving, noting marking signs, road quality, possible hazards, water conditions. Talking to yourself this way builds, uh, they teach uh, military pilots to do it. Situational awareness. Number six, to get an irritating tune out of your head. People, especially those prone to obsessive compulsive behavior, often complain that a tune gets stuck in their head and they can't get rid of it. Hebb's postulate says neurons that fire together wire together also works in reverse neurons that fire apart wire apart killing the annoying tune by deliberately ru ruining the song in your head can work so simultaneously if you sing random notes aloud to a tone that's been stuck in your head it'll just ruin the song for you and you never want to hear it again that's a fucking awesome tip from this book number seven to produce daydreaming doodling can tie up both visual and kinesthetic channels, leaving the auditory channel clear for input. Number eight, quick fix, building a happy mindset. 
Spend 15 seconds twice a day recalling in detail a pleasant experience from the day before. This can give a 15% increase in cheerfulness. 30 seconds a day, yeah, obviously a 30% increase. Number nine, if you need a quick boost, sit up. More than 30 years since explorers in the field of NLP first observed that body posture directly influenced mood, researchers have confirmed that sitting with your back erect and chest pushed out does instantly lift your mood and make you feel more confident. Number 10, anchoring. An anchor is a trigger or a stimulus that evokes a specific response. So back to the conditioning. You can start to condition yourself, and when you go negative, you start with the push-ups. But while you're doing those push-ups, think a happy thought. So now as soon as you start to go negative, you're anchoring a positive note before that sadness. It's the Eastern idea of the mental library. So you walk into the room and you have all your happiest things there. Sadness? Who the fuck cares? This was a good one, guys. I would definitely recommend this book. It's really nicely laid out. And I think it's good for the holiday season. So let's end this one with one of my favorite poems. It's from Edgar Allan Poe. He gets pegged as the narcissist and all that crap. Pessimist, I meant to say. He's actually kind of a happy dude. Listen to the poem. The happiest day, the happiest hour. My seared and blighted heart hath known the highest hope of pride and power. I feel hath flown. O power, said I, yes, such I ween. But they have vanished along, alas, the visions of my youth have been, but lest them pass. And pride, what have I now with thee, another brow may errant inherit. The venom thou hast poured on me, but still in my spirit. The happiest day, the happiest hour, mine shall have ever seen. The brightest glance of pride and power, I feet have been. But what the hope of pride and power, now offered with the pain. Even that I felt the brightest hour, I would not live again. For on its wing was dark alloy, and as it fluttered fell, an essence powerful to destroy, a soul that I knew well. That one's a brain scratcher. Happy holidays, guys. There you guys have it. The Secret of Being Happy by Richard Bandler. I love every knicker from the bottom of my heart. This is a special time of year. Get your New Year's resolutions in order, because we're going to be firing from the hip every Tuesday morning. (laughs) Baby, I ain't going anywhere. Seriously, I wouldn't be doing it without your support. Everybody out there, thank you very much. See you next year. Peace!